The great Dr. Stephen Hawking once said, Humanity has 100 years to colonize other planets, or it will die out. Lots of optimism there. Well, well, it looks like we're not alone in the universe anymore. And I'm not making this up. This is completely true. This is not talk radio fodder. Completely true. Remember, not last Thursday, but the Thursday before China heading toward the far side of the moon. Here is a report that was carried by Global News from January 3rd. China has made it to the far side of the moon. Chinese state media on Thursday reporting that the country has successfully landed a space probe there. Chinese state TV called the landing a historic moment, and it's a milestone that is seen as a huge development for China's nascent space program. Is there a cooler accident, or sorry, is there a cooler accent than Australian? Yes. There, there are no cool accidents. Absolutely not. Not since peanut butter and chocolate got together. But that was carried on January the 3rd, 2019. And now, today, we get a report that says Chongqing University that was involved in this mission to the far side of the moon, there's been an announcement that a sprout is now growing on the far side of the moon. We have life officially on the moon. This is not Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin's visit and all the Apollos that came later and their little experiments. They were all coming home. This thing lives on the moon. It is the first inhabitant of the moon. A tiny cotton seed has sprouted into a seedling on the far side of the moon. A news conference has been held today. The university translated in a news release, the first green leaf now exists on the moon. And they have decided to make it a, what is this? It's a mustard seed of some kind. Basically, it's a weed. Proof that weeds do grow anywhere, isn't it? Weeds grow everywhere. If there is other life on the moon, then you know what's going to happen. Ah, oh, look at that. It's a... <sighs> Gotta get, get that weed out of there. And they would pull the weed. Fortunately, I don't think there's anybody else there. But China is doing some big things in getting us situated on the moon to maybe do what Stephen Hawking had been recommending many, many years ago. Humanity has 100 years to colonize other planets or die out. It all started on January the 15th with a mustard seed back in old 2019. And now look at us today. You know somebody's going to say that. Probably won't be us. We're going to be talking about another planet in a half hour from now because Western University has been involved in some big stuff going on with Martian research. Remember when we all thought Martian and alien were synonyms? I think Bugs Bunny taught us that. Mars research. So that's coming up in a half hour. What are they doing? Are they growing things? Have they chosen... Instead of a mustard seed weed, they're going to grow what? Just uh, a regular old dandelion? Let's see if a dandelion will grow on Mars. Let's hope we're beyond that. I think we are. Earlier today, there was something very interesting that was brought up on the Craig Needle Show that was hosted by Devin Peacock this morning. And it was in a conversation with Ward 6 Counselor Phil Squire. I don't know if you've noticed over the last week or two weeks, but strategic priorities and the strategic plan have been these big buzzwords around City Hall. Well, we're working on the strategic plan. And it sounds great, but 
I think we have to stop for a moment and either look at what's broken to try and fix it or look at what's broken just to appreciate, yeah, that's broken. We should probably throw that away. And I'm not sure which angle we want to take just yet. So I want to take you back to Devin Peacock's conversation with Ward 6 Counselor Phil Squire because Counselor Squire brought up a very interesting stat this morning when he was talking with Devin Peacock. But nobody can tell me that the general public on a daily basis with the busy lives they have is spending a lot of time worrying about the strategic plan of the city of London or the words that we use, you know, whether we use the word accountable or, or you know, something else. I, I, I think it's really the end product that they worry about. And during the, so far, we've only had 90 people. And I know it was December, but we had 90 people in a city of 400,000 people weigh in on a strategic plan. And I'm really interested in the numbers at the end because... The danger is if you if you have a small number of people telling us what should be in our strategic plan, you have to say, well, is that representative of what the general public in London wants? Is that really what they want? So I think we have to be really careful in sort of overestimating the importance of, uh, of this. So 90 people. That's, that's how many people were concerned about this. 90 people. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Phone lines are always open. 519-643-2222. Before we get to do a little bit more on you know, the strategic plan and, and whether or not it does matter, whether we do need public input, because this is something the city faces an awful lot. Hey, let's have a public participation meeting. Unless it was BRT and they actually had to basically book Budweiser Gardens, you don't get a large turnout. And I know that's been a topic of conversation around City Hall. So we'll get back to that in just a moment. Robbie, you wanted to talk moon. Yeah, hi. I uh, just wanted to talk about the Chinese claim of uh, putting something on the far side of the moon and a, and a seed sprouting. Um, Do you buy it? No, it's a hoax. <laughs> we've, never, we've never been to the moon. And there's lots of... Wait a minute. Don't just a minute, just a minute. Can I Can I explain this, okay, please? Okay, please. Okay, one second. There's nothing man-made that can get past the Van Allen radiation belt. We've never been past it. It's, it's impossible. The, the Van Allen ra- ra- uh, radiation belt will destroy any kind of uh, man-made metals and any kind of electronics that tries to pass through the Van Allen radiation belt. It's just... It's a fact, and uh, if people, there's lots of uh, good documentaries on YouTube proving that the whole moon walk and all that was all a hoax. We've never been outside of our uh, own basic solar, uh, you know, above, above the Earth, about, I, I forget what the mileage is, but it's uh, as soon as you hit that Van Allen radiation belt, there's nothing that can get past it. So, Robbie, so, do you believe then any, have we been to Mars? Have we been to Titan? Have we sent probes anywhere? Or does, I don't know no. the location of the Van Allen radiation belt. Is it kind of a, a circular thing somewhere around the Earth? Yeah, it covers the entire Earth. Okay. And, yeah, and if you, if you, if you, if your uh, listeners just look up Van Allen radiation belt on YouTube or Google it or whatever, it'll explain everything. All right, um, I'm, you know what? We'll look into it because there are a lot of people we can talk to about space, and I'm, you've got my curiosity because I've watched a lot of moon videos, and I don't know how they would have faked them in the late 60s, early 70s to look Stanley, the way they did. Stanley Kubrick uh, put all that together. It's proven. It's documented. His daughter is on, on uh, YouTube explaining how he worked with NASA to set this all up. There's uh, all sorts of pictures that are available that are 
um, basically indicate that it was a, a it was all done on a, a, a movie set. Um, and I just urge your uh, listeners to to look that up on on YouTube, fake loot moon landings and all that kind of stuff. I've watched some of that stuff, so I'm really interested because I haven't gone far enough, and I love things that make me want to reach for a tinfoil hat. I love things like that. So Van Allen Radiation Belt, I'm going to look it up, and we'll try and get an expert on the show tomorrow to talk about Van Allen Radiation Belt. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Robbie. Appreciate that. See? Get me my tinfoil hat, please. I love conspiracy stuff. Because, who knows? I mean, Stanley Kubrick's a very talented filmmaker. Could it have happened? I'm thinking it has happened. I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to believe yet that we have not been to the moon. I'm not ready to believe yet that we haven't been, had a probe on Titan or we haven't flown something into Jupiter or we haven't put a whole bunch of stuff on Mars. In fact, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Let's go back to the phones. Bill, what do you have for us? Hey, how's it going, Mike? Pretty good. Okay, so uh, that uh, that last caller kind of uh, gave me a chuckle. I think uh, anybody who thinks that we haven't landed on the moon is uh, a little bit crazy. But um, this is well, we've so- got hey, we've got lots of videos out there. So I'm I'm wearing my tinfoil hat, and I love this stuff. So what do you have? Uh, what is it? It's, uh, this is Bill from last week. Um, what is it? I called about uh, the the new drunk driving laws, and I yeah. kind of had something that I thought about over the weekend. I drive a company vehicle. Um, and it's actually a rental vehicle on top of that. Um, so like, if you just get reported by somebody driving down while you're driving down the street, get a license plate reported, is this maybe a loophole within the loophole of if you're in a company and everybody's going out to have drinks, maybe go ahead and take the company car. Maybe it'll make uh, it a little bit harder for the cops to come knocking on your door. I'm not saying <laughs> go out drinking and driving, but maybe this is uh, yeah, a loophole in a loophole. Maybe make you feel a bit safer. You know what? I like that. I did have a conversation yesterday with a police officer who deals with this directly, and what he tried to do was kind of ease the thoughts, because I brought up a lot of the stuff that we talked about on the show yesterday, and we were just having a pretty casual conversation, and he said, look, you have to realize that we're not going to be going to houses and knocking on doors on any kind of a regular basis, that essentially what they're trying to get rid of, and we talked with a lawyer late last week, is the drunk driving defense, and here's how he described it. You are in a bar, you are not drinking, and then all of a sudden somebody orders a whole mess of shooters. You do four shots and then get in your car and try and race the alcohol getting into your system home where you could be pulled over, you could be given a breathalyzer test, police may smell alcohol, it would come up that you don't have a high enough alcohol content in your blood to be charged, they're suspicious, they take you in, and then you do blow over when you are tested at the station, that comes up in court and it winds up being thrown out. It's the same thing as as someone who has been drinking and driving and then all of a sudden they pull over and they chug half a Mickey and they say, okay, well, yeah, but I wasn't drinking before then. So he said that really is the thing that the legislation is trying to deal with. But he did admit, look, there could be court challenges, but police are not out hunting for people who may be drinking and driving, looking to stick breathalyzers in them. So I just wanted to to add that to the uh, to the stuff you're talking about, but that is an interesting loophole. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot, Mike. I okay. missed yesterday's show, so uh, that's why uh, I kind of yeah just popped in with this today. But um, yeah, have an awesome day, Mike. Thanks uh, for being thanks here today, as always. All right, thanks, Bill.
Okay, cheers, Mike. Bye. Have a great day. 519-643-2222. John, how are you doing today? Hey, how are you today, man? I'm great. Uh, what do I want to talk about? The strategic plan and all these fancy words they're using. <laughs> Why do we need these frigging uh, big words, strategic plan? You know, this is a business. Let's run it like a business. I don't think they strategically every year or every four years – uh, change the way major businesses are run. They go with the times. They have to stay within budgets. That hey, that's strategically viable. There. Why don't they strategically decide to run this city within its constraints, within its budgets? And you know, the way I look at this, running as a business, we've elected these councillors, but we have a mayor, and we all got to vote for the mayor. It doesn't matter what riding you came from. So I essentially look at him as the boss. He has the biggest mandate there. So I would think the councillors have a bit of input, of course, from their ridings to put in. But essentially, once their input's put in, the boss, being the mayor, looks at all that input and ultimately should have the say on how it's going to go. He's got four years to make mistakes. If there are mistakes that the rest of the city uh, agrees they were mistakes, he won't get back in. But... uh, I don't understand the strategic plan. This is really simple. We're in a situation now we don't need legacy pro- uh, uh, projects like the last council was trying to do. We need to get back to basics. We need to run this city, fix some potholes, fix the lights, tweak the bus system. We don't need mega projects anymore. We've got to get back to basics. The city's been let run down. The nuts and bolts are gone because we've got big pipe dreams and we're forgetting about the little things that need to get going here. So strategically, just put on your hats that say councillor and mayor and do what you're elected to do. I get a laugh out of this. Every four years now, we're going to have a strategic plan and what their mandate is. The mandate is to serve us. We're the boss. Not only the mayor, ultimately we're the boss. We're the ones paying their wages. So listen to what we have to say. And you know what? We live in a democracy, so it's the majority rules. So if the majority of the citizens are wanting something or not wanting something, that's the way it should be done. Strategically, that might be a good place to start. So, John, then let's ask you this, because one component of the strategic plan is kind of getting that public input. And Councillor Squire, and we'll play the clip after the break again, because we got talking about the moon. Um, but Councillor Squire had said they've had, what, 90 responses out of a city that essentially serves 450,000 people. Do you care if the city is saying, okay, we need to get some public input on this? They know what the public input is. That election was fought on a few big points. So they already know what this, what strategically the voters are thinking, what they think are important. So start honing in on those things. Start asking us now, what do you want with BRT? This is what you said in the election. This is the way we plan on going with it from what we learned during the election period. That'll get people talking. They know what, what, what is going to get people out. To make something as broad as our strategic commitment, that bores people. They've got other things to do. But hit the hot button subjects, and they know what they are. We all know what they are. That'll get people coming out. That'll get people phoning their riding representatives. It, this isn't brain surgery. It's running a business. Yes, it is a big business, but it still comes down to getting the real regular nuts and bolts in place before we can start looking at huge, huge things. And I think uh, if they say, you know, do we need to fix our roads? Do we need to fix potholes? Yep. Look at, you know, just on snow removal, look at, you know, one of the new elected councillors 
mentioned something about snow removal. Well, boy, oh boy, that turned into a hot-button subject really quick. So they know we better do something about it. They can throw out some other things there, throw out the fishing line. If no one bites, they kind of know then that, you know what, this might not be an important thing that we care about, that the people feeding them by paying their bills or their uh, wages care about. They know what we want. They know what they need to ask. And you know what? We all live lives here. We've got them to start looking after that. We don't have time. We've got families. We've got jobs. We've got uh, our recreational after our jobs with our families. You're not going to get people coming out unless it's a real hot-button hot, uh, subject. And BRT's won. I've been waiting since this election, since this new council got in. When are we going to start seeing the fighting and the screaming over BRT, over bike paths, over bike lanes and all that. Those are the things that people want to talk about. So let's get going with them and get it resolved. John, well said. Thank you. Have a good day. Take care. And we'll play a couple of things from Councillor Phil Squire, because I do want to talk about this for a second, because this is something that I think City Hall doesn't have to be as concerned with as some people there are. And that is what the people feel. How the people involving the public, how many public meetings do we have where, you know what, city officials have to arrange them. You have to have people there. If we did away with public meetings, would you care? There are other ways to get involved and express your opinion. If you heard there were no public meetings, if there was something that came up that, as John illustrated, BRT is a great example. We had to move it to Budweiser Gardens. If there was something like that that came up, then sure, let's have a public meeting. But if it's 12 people, 14 people, there was a thought for a while at City Hall to put meetings online because that would allow more people to get involved. Maybe you can't make the trek there. You're still interested. You'll watch it. But I don't think that has done it either. So what if we did away with public meetings? We've elected officials. We don't have a lot of time. If it's a hot-button issue, you bet you'll hear from people, and then you can schedule one. We don't need to waste time with public meetings. Or do you feel they're not a waste of time? I don't see the attendance showing me that they're a great use of time. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more in a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, we're going to have to get back into a couple of things later on in the show, one being the moon landing, because I'm loving this. I pulled my tinfoil hat out of the closet in the back of the studio here for this one. It is securely on my head. I love conspiracy theory stuff and whether or not it should be proven or disproven. By the way, I got a tweet from Canbrit4, which said, Hey, regarding the moon landing faked, disproved. Check out badastronomy.com. Phil Plate did an awesome job destroying those myths. So if I get a chance... I'll try and check that out during news in just a couple of minutes, but we'll get back into that in just a little minute, or just a little bit, maybe maybe an hour from now. Are you available in an hour from now? I'll be here. We're going to try and get an expert on tomorrow to outline the Van Allen radiation belt. I already want to do that, so uh, so we'll check that out. And also got a tweet from Michael George, and he said, I've got a strategic plan for the city. Low-carbon economy development zone, decentralized energy development zone. Produce and consume 10% of the energy we import. Valuation of that energy alone is $150 million. So one thing that we are also going to get back to is do we need public meetings? I want to play one more clip of Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire talking about what the city wants. And think about what John was just saying. And this is Councillor Squire this morning on the Craig Needles Show with Devin Peacock. If you go door to door like I did in the last election, most people say, 
this is what I want you to do. I want you to deal with the traffic congestion issue. I want you to solve the transit issue, get something. You know, are you going to do BRT? Are you not going to do BRT? So those are the things people worry about. So they worry more about the, the sort of the end product, which is what are we producing for them on a daily basis. Isn't that what we are electing city officials for? In an hour, I will outline maybe an alternative, and it would involve a lot of meetings for all of us. And eventually, you know what? I think it would fall completely apart because public meetings at City Hall do not typically generate a lot of attendance. When you consider we have 450,000 people that are essentially served by greater London area. We're not getting a 1,000 people turning out, and even that's too small a sample size. We're not getting enough people turning out. So do you not put it into the hands, because your lives are too busy, of the city officials that we elect? If there is something to be noisy about, everybody's going to be noisy about it. In the meantime, are we not wasting time having public meetings? In an hour from now, we'll jump back into this. Up next, we're going to talk about Mars. If man and women and spaceships have not gone beyond the Van Allen radiation belt, then here's what I'm wondering. Why would Western be spending a lot of money dealing with Mars research? We'll talk about that amongst what that research is endeavoring to do. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good afternoon. It is 1.30. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. A mix of sun and cloud, a few flurries here and there, minus 3 degrees, minus 9 with a wind chill. It's been a slow start to a trial for former Elgin Middlesex Detention Center employees Stephen Yerkes and Leslie Lonsbury. The two are facing charges of failure to provide the necessaries of life in connection with the beating death of Adam Cargas in 2013 by his cellmate Anthony George. George is serving a life sentence for second-degree murder. Jury selection in the Yerkes and Lonsbury trial took place yesterday, with proceedings expected to begin this morning. But instead, three jurors have written notes arguing that they should be excused from duty. If that happens, the trial could again be delayed. Court is in recess. Stay with 980 CFPL for the latest on this developing story throughout the afternoon. General Motors says it still plans to close its Oshawa plant after meetings with the Ontario and federal governments. Company CEO Mary Barra met with Federal Economic Development Minister Navdeep Baines yesterday on the sidelines of the Detroit Auto Show, while company executives met with Ontario Premier Doug Ford today. The company says it told both governments it intends to continue to be a major manufacturer in Canada with its Ingersoll and St. Catharines plants and an expanded automotive research base. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is working the phones, calling the leaders of Argentina and New Zealand to buy to uh, build support for Canada in its dispute with China. The Prime Minister's office says Trudeau and other leaders talked about the detention and legal treatment of Canadian citizens in China. Trudeau received support from Global Capitals following the detention of Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor last month. That angered the Chinese, who've now retried a previously arrested third Canadian and sentenced him to death for drug smuggling. Witnesses report seeing as many as five bodies, but Kenya's national police chief is not revealing how many people were killed or injured in a coordinated attack on a Nairobi hotel. Joseph Bonnet says the assault started with an explosion that targeted three vehicles outside a bank, and several people were severely injured when a suicide bomber blew himself up in the hotel lobby. Police are still searching the upscale hotel complex for the attackers. 
You're listening to 980 CFPL. Okay, I love where this moon stuff is going. We're going to be talking about Mars in a couple of minutes because Western University is involved in some more Mars research. And so we'll get to the bottom of that. But here's the way that we started off the show. If you missed the very beginning of London Live, we were talking about China. And on January 3rd, so not last Thursday, but the Thursday before, they had claimed that they'd sent a probe, a spacecraft of some kind, to the far side of the moon. And so they were able to land it, and now we hear that they've grown a seedling, basically a weed. So it's a mustard seed, they call it the first green leaf on the moon. It's a flowering weed related to mustard seed and cabbage. What are they doing to the moon? What are they, we're going to have to sell air fresheners to the next people who visit. Mustard seed and cabbage growing on the moon, do not cook that. So that's what they've said. And then Robbie called, and I love this. And Robbie said, you know what? Have you ever seen anything on the Van Allen radiation belt? Yeah, all this stuff about getting to the moon? Forget that. You wouldn't get outside the Van Allen radiation belt. I don't know. I didn't even know whether the Van Allen radiation belt went all the way around the Earth. I had no idea. So, I mean, I've watched the odd video that says, look at the shadow here on the flag. And then look at this shadow. That shows that lighting shining in two different directions. I've seen all that stuff, but I still like to believe man has landed on the moon. And I feel the videos were pretty convincing in the way that they had to run on the moon. We'll discuss this more. Can somebody get Steph Curry on the phone? He seems to have a lot of thoughts about the moon. But I got an email from Sky, and I love this. You ready? Sky says, whether we landed on the moon or not, It is believed the live TV footage was likely staged in a television studio by Stanley Kubrick. Even his death before finishing Eyes Wide Shut is suspect. He was possibly being silenced. Still got the tinfoil hat on my head. I love it. Sky, thank you for that. Because here is, I know when NASA sent Buzz Aldrin and... Neil Armstrong and whoever the third guy was. Sorry, third guy. Man, I'm sorry, third guy. We never remember your name. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. How did Buzz fit into all of this? And third guy. I'm going to find out who third guy was. We're going to give him his proper recognition today. But when they sent them off, here's what I have always found very curious. I know NASA had to make sure that they sent back pictures because that's what the demand was. we got to see these people on the moon. But the pictures are really good. I mean, they're really good. We had trouble filming a parade down a city street in 1969. Trust me, it was a big production. You should have seen what you had to carry around just to do radio. You had reel-to-reels strapped to your hip. You had people lugging wires. It was a production. You're telling me you filmed something on the moon and sent it back and it was just that? And it was a picture of, where was where was Buzz Aldrin? He wasn't outside the lunar lander. You know, the third guy was way up in space still. So how'd they get those pictures? I have always wondered that. Tinfoil hat on my head, securely in place. We'll discuss more of this in just a moment. But in the meantime, I really do believe we did go to the moon. I really believe we have sent landers and such to Mars. Because, and here is what I feel is a good dose of proof, we wouldn't have academic institutions 
spending money doing research on things that dealt with information coming from those planets or just basically what we're doing on those planets if it was all faked. And joining us right now is Earth Sciences professor Roberta Fleming from Western University as we talk a little bit about the fact that a Western University-led team has been selected by the CSA, the Canadian Space Agency, to study Mars minerals. Professor Fleming, it is great to have you with us. Oh, hang on. We will be able to get Professor Fleming in just a moment. There we are. I think we've reached you. Oh, yes. You're not on Mars right now. No. Okay, just just checking because it it seemed to take that whole seven-second delay for the information to get back to us. So, no, yeah, I just wanted to check. Hey, let's uh, let's look at what this is by first congratulating you on being selected. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks very much. What does this mean? Well, well, the Canadian Space Agency um, is inviting proposals for concept studies to, for future instrumentation. So this we're just conceiving of, of a miniaturized in-situ X-ray diffractometer for Mars. So um, we're at the very beginning stages, just like Curiosity was 10 years ago. The Curiosity rover that's on Mars now, um, it, it, it was in like 20 years in development before they, they launched. So there is, an XR, there is a diffractometer on Mars already, but it's a powder diffractometer, so they have to pulverize the sample. and then So they sample the surface, and then they pulverize it, and they put it inside the machine for analysis. So we want to sort of point and shoot and do XRD right on the surface. I think a lot of us are hearing diffractometer for the very first time. <laughs> I don't think we know what that is. Help us out. What is a diffractometer? Okay, sure. So, so rocks are made of minerals, and minerals are crystalline. And any crystalline substance, they have an ordered internal atomic arrangement of atoms. And that's what you get at by X-ray diffraction. So X-rays diffract off of this ordered arrangement of atoms, and you can measure the, the spacing between the different atoms um, by X-ray diffraction. So X-ray diffraction measures the, tells you what the crystal structure of the mineral is. Um, right at the moment on most of the Mars rovers, there's chemical analysis. There's an APXS on both, um, both the MER rovers and Curiosity. They've got an alpha particle X-ray spectrometer, and it measures chemical analysis. So, so you're measuring the chemical constituents of the mineral right now on Mars, and Curiosity also has an XRD, so it can measure the crystal structure. So, And a mineral has a ordered internal atomic arrangement of atoms, plus it has a definite chemical composition. So by using an XRD on Mars, along with the APXS on the arm, say, you could measure both of them at the same time, by the chemical constituents and the crystal structure. And the idea is to kind of make a better diffractometer now that could eventually be used on Mars on a future mission. Yes, that's the idea. Okay, and you've been selected to help do that. We're talking with Earth Sciences professor Roberta Fleming from Western University. If we're to look at why it's important to examine the makeup of rocks or minerals on Mars, what sorts of things are you hoping to find out? Okay, that's an excellent question. So the minerals are recording, they're like little little recorders of history of the of the environmental conditions under which they synthesized, they were they were formed so mars is a volcanic planet so some of them um, are they were formed by igneous magmatic processes like high temperature processes just like our hawaiian lavas on on earth so hawaii hawaiian lavas on earth and iceland icelandic volcanoes are good 
earth analogs for Martian volcanics. Um, some of them have been formed by, by sedimentary processes, just like we see sandstone and um, limestone on earth. There were there sandstone and sediments formed in because there was water when when Mars in its history when it was warmer and wetter there actually was there were lakes and so we have sedimentary rocks um, on Mars so we can look at Earth sediments as well as an analog for Mars. Um, let's see what else and there's an impact history. So Mars has been it's old just like the Earth and they've they've both been impacted by asteroids over the course of billions of years and but Earth because we've got um, plate tectonics, and we've got um, our our surface is getting regenerated, whereas Mars has, has got ancient surface, so we can see the impact history for a lot longer on okay. Mars. And that would be one of the things that, that you would be able to do. Back here on Earth, you know, those of us who don't deal every day with diffractometers and are just learning what that word is and hope nobody ever asks us to spell it, we're always just wondering about when we get to the point where they can say, hey, there was once life on Mars or not life on Mars. Could you pick up something and find a fossil? Could you pick up something and find a sign of life? So that's an excellent question, too. So, um because where there's water, there's life, one presumes, right? So that Curiosity rover is looking for, you can look for water and minerals. So we're looking for the hydrous minerals like hematite and jerosite and other iron oxides. So where there's water on Earth um, or, or on any planet where there might be life, if it's warm enough and wet, then you could support life. So it, people do believe that um, if we can find the right environments on Mars, They'll, they, they'll be habitable by microorganisms. So life on Mars is going to be microbes, just like it started on Earth. Um, it would have been halted sooner on Mars because it, um, unless they still exist now, but the because it got colder, um, so it's tougher to live on Mars because it's colder. But it yeah. is a sister to Earth, to Mars, because it's just a little bit farther out and it's and it was globally dynamic. Well, this is fantastic news that you are involved in this. What is next for you in this process? How do you start this? Oh, so um, we, we are developing. So it's actually Western. I'm the lead PI, but there's a, it's a consortium of universities. So Guelph is involved and Brock is involved because they've got researchers also studying Mars that work with the Curiosity rover and the APXS um, instrument. Um, so those three universities plus two um, industrial partners, we've got Proto Manufacturing that makes X-ray diffractometers, and MDA, um, who are the Canadarm people. So they're also involved with development of this, this, um, this concept, our micro-XRD concept. And um, so we at Western and at the universities, we're developing a suite of instruments that we can, I mean, a, sorry, a suite of um, Mars analog samples that, um, like, samples that we can test in my XRD lab. So I already have a lab, a laboratory-based micro-XRD, but it's not miniature, so it wouldn't travel, it wouldn't be able to go to Mars. So we're trying to develop a, a compact or a, a miniaturized version. So we're going to test this suite of samples that we've put together in my lab, and then Proto Manufacturing in Windsor is going to test them in their lab. with different. They're going to test different geometries. So it's not a prototype yet. It's just we're just um, testing geometries. 
Okay, and are those samples that are kind of based on what you think Mars rocks would be like, just to yes. test it out? Yes, they are. So some of them are some of them are Earth samples, which are analogous to Mars, like Hawaiian lavas or Icelandic lavas, um, or sedimentary rocks that are iron rich, just like the like Mars is a red planet because there's lots of iron on it. Um, and some of them are actual Martian meteorites, meteorites themselves. So hmm. we've got um, we've got some Martian meteorites on hand that we can X-ray here and then X-ray at Proto. Outstanding. Well, hey, best of luck. Congratulations on being involved in this. And I guess we'll check in in another 20 years. Is that about right? Yeah, or 10 years. 10 years. Okay, (laughs) we'll give you 10 years. We'll give you a decade. We'll check back in. Professor Fleming, congratulations. Enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. That is Earth Sciences professor Roberta Fleming from Western University. So when she first started talking, did you not feel like... They were words that just came out of some science fiction movie somewhere. Well, you know, when when we take the uh, miniaturized uh, in situ X-ray diffractometer and uh, we put the sample, but those that's the real thing. That's what they've called it. It is a miniaturized in situ X-ray diffractometer, and it is for mineralogical characterization of planetary surfaces. And they'll be focusing on Mars. So they're basically trying to make the travel DVD player. Remember when you were at home and you could play a DVD and it would play on your TV and then all of a sudden somebody said, you know what we should do? We should get a travel DVD player because the kids in the back seat of the van, they get bored. We can't let that happen. So we'll make the travel DVD player, and then they actually just kind of put those into the van eventually or into the SUV eventually. That's what they're doing. They're looking to, instead of having a great big thing, make it much smaller, portable. You can bring it along with you. You can watch SpongeBob. You can check out Martian Rocks. Works well. I love it. We'll take a break. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up in about 15, 20 minutes from now, we're going to be talking about Alzheimer's. And we're going to be looking at the prevalence and the heightened awareness of dementia these days. You realize that there has been a 127% increase over the last five years in Middlesex and London with people working with the Alzheimer's Society, 127% increase. Their client base right now is almost 3,000 people. That's, That's a lot. That's significant. So we'll discuss that in just a little bit, and we'll talk about something that you can help out with. If you are looking to travel somewhere, it probably shouldn't be Mars. We're not, we're not there yet. We're not up for space trips to the moon just yet. And I have just sent out an email to try and get more on the Van Allen radiation belt for tomorrow on the show. I love the topic. But if you're looking to go anywhere, period, especially if it involves the United States in some way, have you heard about what it's like to fly recently? If you have a flight At any time during the day, they say, you know what you should do? You should get up at 3.30 in the morning and get to the airport nice and early. Because getting through and getting through the check lines where you're taking off your shoes and your belt and putting everything into the little plastic bins, yeah, that's taking a long time. Because remember, 
government officials, staff, TSA, and TSA officers are now trying to make do without being paid because the government shutdown rolls along in the United States. Could you imagine if things finally do ground to a halt at all U.S. airports? This is not like saying, yeah, well, we're having a little trouble with the Wichita airport. We'll have to reroute you. Okay, I'll drive and I'll go to a different airport and I'll fly out of there. No problem. This is everything. And they do have things moving right now, but we're starting to hear more and more information from TSA spokespeople that this is not really ideal, that they are exercising their contingency plans, that they still have normalized operations, but at the same time, this is not something that can probably continue long term. So you wonder whether U.S. President Donald Trump foresaw all of the far reachings of his government right now. Because any government official, a lot of them have been coming in and and doing their jobs without pay, hoping that something is sorted out in the future. But you've got a lot of government officials that are doing things that help keep everything moving. It's like a food chain. You know, you can look down and say, ah, there's that bug. I'll just step on it as I walk on this sidewalk. Yeah, well, that eliminates that food for the slightly larger animal. And and then the slightly larger animal does not eat that other food. And it disrupts things entirely up the chain. That's the kind of stuff that's starting to happen. I mean, if you listen carefully, you can hear creaking noises of things being strained. And that's never a good sign. So pay attention to the airports. They may have a real telling story as we head forward. Another real telling story, that vote for Brexit comes up beginning in about five minutes from now. And whether or not to vote down what Theresa May had essentially created. So another country looking at something very, very big within government. And if we do get results, I mean, results may take about an hour to actually come or they may come quickly. It's difficult to know. We'll make sure we have those for you. More details on that story and others coming up in just a couple of minutes. We'll let you know what else is ahead on London Live in just a moment. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. It's been quite an hour on London Live already. Got to wear my tinfoil hat. Talked about Western being able to create a travel version of something that helps to analyze rocks. And they could use this to travel to Mars. I mean, we've got cutting-edge stuff happening around here. Want to go into dementia in just a moment. And the prevalence of dementia. And the increase in the number of cases and what you might be able to do. And then later on, we'll go back to a topic we discussed this past hour, and that being public meetings in London. Is it to a point where we could just say, you know, we don't really need public meetings. We'll make noise when we're concerned about something. But you don't need to have a public meeting. I don't think we need that. Take feedback in other ways, but you don't need to have a formal meeting. We're not serving enough people. What do you think? We'll talk about that in a half hour. Next up, Jacqueline LaBelle with news. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. This hour we'll talk about public meetings. May get into the word Londoners. You know, if you go to Tampa Bay, you have to call them Tampanos. 
They made that decision this week. See, that's what they're deciding on. And we're talking about strategic plans. Everybody got into the Tampanos discussion. They got great response. What should we call people from Tampa Bay? What do we have in terms of response to the strategic plan? 90 people out of 450,000? That's a bad grade. 90 out of 450,000? That's a low, low grade. So maybe we've got to find a way to dress it up. I think we just turf public meetings altogether. We'll discuss that in about a half hour from now. Right now, we have a big opportunity because joining us is the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of London and Middlesex to talk about a way that you can help out and also to go through some of the statistics that we have seen recently in terms of the number of people making use of services in this area and the increases that we have seen. Please welcome to London Live, Carol Walters. Carol, how are you today? Hi, Mike. I'm really happy to be on the show today. Well, it's great to have you here. We're going to talk about what is a big day on February 2nd in just a little bit, but I think we do need to appreciate the incidence of dementia in our area. If, if I was to use the word increase, would that not be quite accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Within London and Middlesex, over the last five years, we've seen a 127% increase in our client base, so it's significant. Now, put that into perspective. Is that something that you might see year to year, or did you look at this and say, wow, that's a large jump? Yeah, we we look at our stats certainly every year and and look at what it is from year to year and and this number really did stand out for us although we are every year we see an increase so there's there's never a decline so every year we are seeing an increase within London and Middlesex right now it's estimated there's approximately 8500 individuals with dementia. So, so run run that by us again how many? 8500 individuals living okay. with dementia. And in terms of the studies that go on about this, do we know maybe why we're seeing increases? Has anybody suggested anything? Yeah, there's a, there's a few things that have come forward. Certainly, um, age is the uh, number one risk factor for dementia. And with our baby boomers aging at this point in time and moving into those those um, ages where we, we're starting to see the prevalence, um, that's that's where, or see the diagnosis, that's where we're seeing a rise. Um, certainly, people are living longer as well. So certainly, to celebrate, um, our medical system has had wonderful advancements, and we're we're certainly seeing people live a lot longer. And 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 sort of a consequence of that, although, is that um, dementia is on the rise. We're talking right now with the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of London and Middlesex, Carol Walters. Carol, maybe take us through what happens if somebody is experiencing something on their own or noticing from other family members that that maybe there are some signs, some symptoms they want to get checked out. What should they do? Yeah, we always encourage people to have a first discussion with their family physician. So um, if, if there are any concerns at all, early diagnosis is key and early access to information such as um, what the Alzheimer's Society provides is going to help in the long run. So 
The, uh, so senior family physician, if you have any concerns right whatsoever, um, they can do a memory test and determine whether there is a concern. If there are concerns and there is a diagnosis, certainly accessing the services of the Alzheimer's Society, London and Middlesex, um, early is, is recommended. So the more you can learn about the disease and how to manage the disease and, and also learning for care partners. So many of our, our clients at the Alzheimer's Society are the care partners. So, so really the educating yourself and getting yourself involved in, and um, active within a new peer group is, is really important. How much of an education is it? I mean, how much do people maybe not realize the impact that this is going to have? You know, I find that that individuals, uh, there's some that are very educated. Um, Certainly there's a ton of information out on the Internet in regards to this. What the Alzheimer's Society provides is an education program called First Link. And anyone, you can self-refer to the Alzheimer's Society. You don't need to be referred by a physician. So you can just give us a call um, and come in and meet with one of our social workers. So we have a team of social workers have a one-on-one meeting with them, um, and they'll sort of open up your eyes to uh, what, what can be accessed through our services. All right. Before we let you go, and we're talking with the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of London and Middlesex, Carol Walters. There is something coming up at Best Western Lamplighter Inn on February 2nd. Let us know what's happening and how people can get involved. Yeah, this is one of our, our signature events, fundraising events. We do have to fundraise 60% of our budget here at the Alzheimer's Society. So every year that's approximately $1.2 million um, to continue to provide the services that we provide. So events like the Cabin Fever Reliever, which is on February 2nd, is really important to us. It's a great um, community event. So anyone who attends... Um, you you hear a lot from them on how, how it really does make them feel connected to the community and feeling as if they're giving back um, to those that are, are on the journey with dementia. So the event uh, starts at 5.30 with a silent auction and, and hors d'oeuvres. There's a dinner and a, a live auction program um, within the evening as well. Um, complimentary wine, if that's of interest to, to individuals. And tickets are $125 and can be purchased on our website at alzheimerslondon.ca. Carol, thanks so much for the information. You're welcome, and thanks for having me today. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. That's Carol Walters, CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of London and Middlesex. And it, those are stats that, and Carol alluded to this, stats that you look at and you say, wow, we, we're seeing the incidence of dementia on the rise. What is it that we're doing? What is it that's happening? What is happening in my life that I have to be aware of that may one day result in me getting dementia? And it may not be that. As Carol highlighted, it may just be that we do have an older population right now, and this is one of those consequences. And it's good to have services available like the Alzheimer's Society of London and Middlesex that can help out. We'll take a break. Up next, I do want to talk about Tampanos for just a minute because it's so difficult to gauge anymore what is going to get people up and at them and involved. Look at this past week. What was the thing going back? I don't even know when it started. Let's it was it the weekend? I'm talking about the egg. You know the egg that people said, can you like it and retweet it? And it became 
the most liked and shared post ever beat out one of the Kardashians, everything should beat out a Kardashian. Can we find all of the things that the Kardashians hold in terms of world records and beat them so that we can hopefully get them off the map? Could that happen? Could somebody put together that kind of a list? But this beat whatever the Kardashians had had, what would you even post? What is a Kardashian posting that's getting shared that much? This family has done nothing. Um, but this egg, it was just a, a picture of an egg, and it went off. The point is, you never know what is going to take off. In Tampa Bay recently, it was trying to figure out what Tampa Bay people should call themselves. Should we have another look at what we call ourselves in London? I'll tell you what they've been up to in just a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. In Tampa Bay, they couldn't figure out what to call themselves, people from Tampa Bay. There was a lot of debate going on. So the Tampa Bay Times stepped up and ran a poll on this and grabbed the votes and tallied them up. They had Tampan, Tampanian, and Tampano as possibilities. And Tampano came out as number one. Actually, that's not bad. That's kind of cool. There were people who responded to this saying that Tampanian sounds too much like pain. Forget that. I'd like Tampano. Uh, somebody else said that I grew up in Orlando since living in West Tampa for the last 10 years. The people here seem to embrace Tampano. It captures the rich history and culture of this city. Are we doing okay with Londoner? Or should we be thinking about something else? Londano. Huh? That sounds pretty good, but I don't think it really captures the rich culture and history of the city of London. We don't, I don't think we have that in our past. So not Londano. Londonite? Is that too close to Luddite? We don't want that. Londonite? Londoner? Londanian? Any other ideas? Shoot me a quick note. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Are we okay with Londoner? Here's the thing we don't seem to be okay with, and why don't we get back into this right now? This is something that we started discussing last hour. We have this strategic plan that has been a buzzword around City Hall for a little while as they now prepare for the next strategic plan that they hope will stretch for four years and will give us a, an idea of where the city is headed in the future. And what did we hear yesterday? Well, we're getting some public input on this. And I want to take you back to those same comments from Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire that we talked about last hour. So I want to play these for you again in case you weren't with us, but it's good to hear them again as well. Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire talked about the strategic plan. And actually, you'll have to listen for a very interesting statistic. Here he is from the Craig Needle Show this morning that was hosted by Devin Peacock. But nobody can tell me that the general public, on a daily basis, with the busy lives they have, is spending a lot of time worrying about the strategic plan of the City of London or the words that we use, you know, whether we use the word accountable or, or you know, something else. I, I, I think it's really the end product that they worry about. And during the, so far, we've only had 90 people. And I know it was December, but we had 90 people in a city of 400,000 people weigh in on a strategic plan. And I'm really interested in the numbers at the end because... The danger is if you if you have a small number of people telling us what should be in our strategic plan, you have to say, 
well, is that representative of what the general public in London wants? Is that really what they want? So I think we have to be really careful in sort of overestimating the importance of, uh, of this. I think this is a really important thing that Councillor Squire has brought up. And by the way, just the way his phone kind of cut out, the first time he says the number, it sounds like nine people out of 450,000. It's not a lot better. It's 90 people out of 450,000 who have provided input. But it makes me wonder about all of this. We just went through a municipal election where you had an opportunity to elect somebody for your ward, where you had an opportunity to elect mayor. Uh, We had the ranked balloting system. Everything churned along, and we eventually got through it, and we'll see whether or not we go through that kind of a style next time. But in other words, you had a chance to exercise your democratic right. You had a chance to vote. Now that that's happened, do you not place a little bit of trust into the councillor that you voted for, into the mayor? Because I think the most important thing in that, other than the statistic of they've only received 90 pieces of input from individuals in the area that is served, which is essentially 450,000 people, they've received 90 pieces of information, 90 bits of feedback. That's not enough. That's horrible. But I don't think... There needs to be blame in all of this because you know what? We are busy. We do lead other parts of our lives. And so we don't have a lot of people who are fixated on everything that is happening at City Hall. If there is an issue, and John alluded to this last hour, if there's an issue that is big, if there is an issue that people are passionate about, CBRT, You're going to hear from the general public, and you're going to be able to gauge that, you know what, maybe we need a public meeting on this. But we have public meetings all the time. Do we need to do away with them? I would say yes, because the sample size you're getting is not representative. Have ways of providing feedback that also exist right now. You can email a counselor. You can call a counselor, and they could easily take a straw vote saying, hey, what about this issue? Is anybody hearing a lot on this? Woo! Yeah, I got uh, 26 emails this past week, which may not seem like much, but it is. You know, you could say, well, I got five emails in my constituency this past week. Then maybe you need a public meeting. Then maybe you've hit on a hot button. Otherwise, you know, City Hall has forever been trying to figure out how to get people more engaged. Some people are going to be engaged. They love it. And that's great. That's fantastic. Because a lot of them will do great work and research and have good opinions, and many of those opinions are expressed here on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Keep them coming. But I don't think we can fault anybody in this city if they aren't that wrapped up in city hall business. So if you're not going to really care about what they're doing in in the strategic priorities meeting, and you're not really going to care about the strategic plan, then you're just basically putting everything into the hands of City Hall saying, yeah, um, we talked about what the issues were when you came around door to door. And so, yeah, go to them. In fact, here's another quote from Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire from this morning on the Craig Needles show. You go door to door like I did in the last election. Most people say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to deal with the traffic congestion issue. I want you to solve the transit issue, get something, you know, are you going to do BRT? Are you not going to do BRT? So those are the things people worry about. So 
they worry more about the, the sort of the end product, which is what are we producing for them on a daily basis. And that's key. What is the end product? I don't need to tell you that, well, maybe you should use this word. I don't need to tell you that eh, maybe you should do this with the sidewalk. Just show me the end product. And then if there's an issue, somebody's going to raise their hand. Otherwise, we wind up getting into a situation where in order to make people engaged, we could go to the very large extreme of dividing ourselves not just into wards and 14 wards, but into neighborhoods that make up those wards. And you would have a neighborhood representative, and that representative would then attend a meeting, and they would bring forth the concerns of that neighborhood. And then that neighborhood would turn into a, an entire city block, and then you'd have your block representative, and they would take what the neighborhood people said, and they would run it up the flag. I mean, that's that's what you would have to do to get complete engagement. You would have to basically force people to say, okay, I got to look at this then. I got one of these neighborhood meetings coming up. You know, couldn't couldn't we put this off? I got I got stuff going on until Thursday. I can't really make it. But that's what you'd have to have in order to have that sort of engagement. Otherwise, don't you just put the power into the hands of the people you elected and say, yeah, this is not earth shattering stuff. This is stuff that needs to happen. Um, they're going to debate. We're going to follow it for you. Other news agencies are going to follow it. And you're going to be able to get information that way. Is that enough? 519-643-2222. Ultimately, you know, I don't, I don't think we need those public meetings that you need to take time for and that essentially do cost money. We could do away with those until you hit on a hot-button issue that I really believe you're going to be able to identify. Otherwise, go forward with it. Phil Squire had also pointed out that he hopes that we are not necessarily seeing all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the big holdups that we have seen on past councils. And I think he liked the way that the last council operated. I think we heard John say last hour that... He's hoping that they do away with legacy projects. This is not about legacy projects. This is not about, well, you know, I live in London, Ontario, and you see that stop sign over there? Without me, that wouldn't be there. Who cares? Who's saying stuff like that? If that's something that you're into politics for, you're into it for the wrong reason. Legacy projects? Eh, you know, look up our old favorite liberal premier, and what he was doing before he left. Dalton McGinty was trying to create legacy. Oh, you know, all of the green energy initiatives? That was my doing. Pass the Chardonnay. You don't need that. That's not what it's about. Forget your legacy stuff. We used to have that. Jean Chrétien seemed to be very concerned with legacy before he left. As soon as a leader starts talking legacy, punt. Get them out. We don't need that. But I really think that if we have all of the information contained at City Hall, it's difficult for the rest of us to say, all right, let me read through all of those things. Talk to Jesse Helmer about how much he reads every week, the thousands of pages. Very few people are going to find the time to do that, to truly understand something, to make a proper decision. So once again, you're putting that into the hands of city officials. And I think that's the way municipal politics has to work. I don't think we would mind it if they did away with public meetings until enough rah, 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 enough rabble rousing 
and enough email and communication and whatever. I had seven tweets, four emails, and 75 phone calls on this. I think it's an issue. I'm going to bring it forward. Do you not think that would happen at a council meeting? I think it would be great. I think it would cut down on, you know, I'm not saying we're going to save millions of dollars here. Would save a little bit. Would certainly save some time for people. Time's still money, isn't it? We'll take a break. Still to come on the show. We will get to the emails on whether or not we should change Londoners to Londonites or Londanios. Londanians. Uh, But we will also be talking about something that can help to identify issues with PTSD. Because if we look inside our head, and, and we've talked enough about concussions on London Live, they are so difficult to diagnose. Well, PTSD, it's another one of those things that is very difficult to diagnose. But if you do not diagnose it, you are not able to treat it. And there could be some major effects because of that. Well, there is new research that we're going to bring to you that shows maybe there's a change. Maybe we've got something that can say, yeah, that is a sign of PTSD. Let's change the treatment that is happening right now. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. British Parliament is voting on Theresa May's Brexit deal, so we'll keep tabs on that. She spoke just before the vote began, and now they're just counting things up right now. They're voting on an amendment that calls for the so-called Irish backstop to be temporary. That's one of the things that they're doing, and we'll see whether or not I mean, this this is not the, the end yet. We've got, what, March 29th that becomes the end? Uh, we're dealing with uh, far less serious issues around here right now. Londoner, Londonites, we did get a couple of emails on this. Sherry says, you said Londanian. It should be Londonian. Okay. I'll, t- I'll take either one. Uh, I'm still happy with Londoner, but I just every once in a while you've got to check things, right? What's the worst social disease out there? Well, why do you do that? Well, it's the way we've always done it. That's the worst social disease there is. Every once in a while, you got to stick in the thermometer. You got to take the temperature. So Londoner still okay? Londonite, Londonian, Londanian. Sam says I like Londos. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a hipster thing. Would the Lundos be people who live downtown? Could you live in the suburbs and still be a Lundo? I don't know. Uh, Keisha says, I've always liked the Terminator movie series, so I'd like, if we're going to make a change, for it to be to Londonators. Okay, now we're just getting away from this. Lundos? Could we have different terms for where we all lived? Huh? How about that? You would know, based on what somebody called themselves, what part of the city they lived in. We could divide this up, maybe into the 14 wards. Because if I ask you right now, where's Ward 7? Uh, I don't know. How about Ward 1? Who can name the geography of Ward 1? I don't know. But if you knew it was where all the Lundos lived, I think it it would paint a better picture. I think this is worthwhile. Stick the thermometer in. Take the temperature. Up next, we're going to be talking about using MRI in order to detect PTSD. 
And this becomes really fascinating because when we look at that thing that kind of runs the show for all of us called the brain, I mean, the heart's doing a pretty good job without the kidneys. Yeah, okay. Uh, Liver, spleen, gallbladder, some of them are necessary, some of them not as much. But if we're to look at the thing that uh, we kind of really need to be active and doing what it needs to be doing, we look at our brain. And if you have issues with your brain, they're very difficult to detect. And something very serious, we talk a lot about concussion on the show. Uh, Something else that becomes very, very serious is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's not easily found. But what if there was a test that could look at your brain and say, you know what? That is what you're suffering from. And because that is what you're suffering from, we know how to help you. How would that feel? That would feel a whole lot better than all of the uncertainty that goes in with knowing there is something wrong, but not really knowing what it is. Next up, we're going to talk about an advancement made at Western University that may help with that. This is London Live, and you're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If I walk by a desk, and the desk has a steel corner, and I kind of scrape my arm on it, and I look down, and there's now a cut on my arm, and it's bleeding slightly, I know that's the problem. I know what happened, and I can easily go and address that. I'll make sure that I clean it out. Maybe I'll bandage it. Maybe I need a stitch. I don't know. But I know exactly what's going on there. When we deal with anything that affects our brain, whether it is depression, whether it is dementia that we talked about earlier on the show, whether it is post-concussion syndrome, whether it is PTSD, it is so difficult to diagnose. It is so difficult to see whether or not there is an issue. But could we somehow change that? Could we find a way that we could look at the brain and indicate, you know what, here is an issue. And in a way, we have seen that. I mean, we saw a study at Western that dealt with women's rugby. And they looked at women's rugby players over a five-year period. And they tested the area that, I guess, one of the best ways to to say it at the the front of the brain is is closest to the skull. And they found that there were differences in the brain of individuals who had suffered concussion. So they could see physical changes. Well, could we do that in other ways? Joining us to talk about that as it relates to post-traumatic stress disorder is Dr. Ruth Lanius. Dr. Lanius, you've been doing some fantastic work that we need to know more about. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you, Mike? I'm not too bad. I I feel like I'm in much better hands based on what you have been able to do. I'm sure it's not easy to outline in seven words or less, but let's talk a little bit about this study that takes a machine learning approach, takes brain imaging, and comes up with something pretty incredible. What have you found? 
Well, we've known for a long time that people with post-traumatic stress can present quite differently clinically, that a group of them, about 70% of them, have too much emotion, too much arousal, and about 30% of that group actually is very detached from their emotions. They're very shut down. And so what we did with artificial intelligence, machine learning, is uh, take resting state scans. So people are just lying in the, MRI scan, in the MRI scanner, letting their minds wander. And from these scans, we can predict with a 92% accuracy who will have the PTSD subtype with too much emotion and who will have the subtype that has too little emotion and has that really detached presentation. Okay, so I guess in going back, if, if we look at someone who comes in and is trying to explain the symptoms that they've had, diagnosing PTSD without this, how, how difficult can that be? Well, you know, it takes a detailed clinical assessment, and it can certainly be done on clinical assessment, but I think we all know it's always good to have multiple modalities in which we can assess people, and so I think this has some hope for the future that we have clinical assessment, but we may also be able to have some neurobiological assessments. Now, we all know that MRIs are expensive, and something that we're thinking about in the future is also doing this with electroencephalograms, so an EEG, which is easier to do and more financially feasible to see whether just putting brain leads on people and examining their brain activity and connectivity can provide similar results. Dr. Lanningus, what prompted you to even look at this? My patients prompted me to look at this. For years, I've seen that people can have very different presentations of post-traumatic stress. And so these differential responses and these different subtypes have been a long-standing interest of our group. And now we're using a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And so it was a logical question really to ask, can our brain scans predict these different subtypes of PTSD and these different clinical responses, because I think it's also important to really personalize treatment for people once we've identified these different subtypes. We are talking right now on London Live with Dr. Ruth Lanius, and we're talking about Basically, a study that has been done with Lawson Health Research Institute with Western University, and what it does is it looks at people who are suffering with PTSD, and based on what Dr. Lanius has been able to do in looking at the brain through, you mentioned MRI. Is it only MRI at this point? Only MRI at this point, okay. yes. But through MRI, whether someone may be suffering from PTSD and and you've been able to show that you can predict it at a pretty good rate. How high a rate is that? So really, based on our data, we can predict what type of PTSD somebody has, whether they have this PTSD with too much, too much emotion versus too little emotion with a 92% accuracy. And how would that compare? Because many of us don't do medical research on a regular basis. When something comes out at a predictive value of 92%, how high is that in your industry? I think that's pretty good. You know, we can always do better, but I think it's a very, very good start. 
So you mentioned being able to make use of something like this in helping to treat patients. What is that next step, Dr. Lanius? So I think there's a number of next steps. One is to really personalize treatments based on what specific symptoms uh, individuals suffer from. And then I think uh, we can also think about this more across psychiatry because we know that psychiatric illness, the different disorders, for for example, depression or substance abuse, they all have very heterogeneous presentations. And so really to, you know, subtype these uh, populations and really embracing the complexity and the heterogeneity with the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning may prove to be very beneficial in the future. Finally, how excited are you that artificial intelligence or some of the other technologies you're able to make use of are now not dreamed about, but available, but being used? It's very exciting. It's a new frontier and it's always great uh, to embrace a new frontier. Dr. Lanius, congratulations on all of your work. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you for your time, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Dr. Ruth Lanius, on identifying PTSD using MRI. So being able to say, yeah, that's something we can see, not something we have to diagnose. And then you can get to the treatment a whole lot faster. It's a great finding. Let's take another break on London Live. More to come before we close out the show. Don't forget, Matthew Trevithick and Jacqueline LaBelle have news coming up at the top of the hour. And tomorrow on the show, we're going to look again at electric vehicles. We've spent some time on electric vehicles. A lot more charging stations continue to pop up. What do we hear from manufacturers in the auto sector? We hear that they're pushing toward more electric vehicles, and we're going to see more on the market. Well, we have ourselves not just electric cars, not just electric buses. Would you buy an electric motorbike? How about an electric Harley? We'll talk about that. You know, I think electric vehicles wind up, it it hasn't worked out. And and I guess maybe we could even include hybrids. Hybrids have been on the market for a long, long time. And you would have expected that to really take off. And it hasn't. And I think it's almost like, the Netflix theory. You ever heard the Netflix theory? Netflix theory says, hey, for Netflix, uh, would you like to give me 120 bucks for the next year? No, not really. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to just give you $120. Oh, okay, well, how about if you paid $9.99 a month? Oh, yeah, okay, I could do that. I could, I could do $9.99 a month, but you don't want to pay $120 a year. No. Not going to do that. $120 bucks a year. It's way too much. But I'll do the $9.99 a month. That's great. That's the Netflix theory. And I think that's where electric vehicles and hybrids have run into trouble in that they have been a little bit more expensive. Hey, would you like this hybrid vehicle? Uh, it's a little bit more than that one. Yeah, but you'll probably have savings of this, 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 and this. Oh. Um... No, I'm just going to buy the cheaper one over here that takes gas. That's that's what I'm going to do because uh, I don't want to pay that much more right now. I'd rather pay more as we went along. And that's kind of it. What did we hear about even yesterday? We were talking about Walkerton and the concerns that exist with Bill 66 and kind of taking away from individuals and, and right now the, the government workers who are looking after clean water that we, we could see cutbacks in those areas. 
And what would that mean? Well, that would mean you would be putting it more at risk. And we were able to talk with Bruce Davidson from Concerned Walkerton Citizens. If you didn't hear the interview, you can always catch the London Live podcast. You can find that on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite shows. And you can listen back to it. But one of the things that Bruce had outlined is that it would have taken $40 million over 20 years to ensure the safety of the water. And because that was not spent, then they've spent over $200 million in class action lawsuits. So that's another way to look at it. But we'll be discussing electric vehicles, and in particular, the electric motorbike, the electric Harley-Davidson. And then we'll take a look at at how you feel about the outlay of money right away. What do you find yourself doing? Yeah, you know what? I don't want to pay that up front, but I'll pay it in the payments, and it'll be the same. I'd rather do the payments. I'd rather not focus on getting rid of all that money right up front. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, maybe we already do have different names for different areas. I hadn't thought about this. Uh, Buddy the Cat, who's a big listener of Knights games, calls himself a Byronite. We took a look at Londoner earlier in the show, and whether or not we needed to make a change. Mm, Not a lot of push for change in that. But if we divided it up, Sam had said Lundos. Couldn't we make Lundos anyone who lives downtown instead of Londoners? I'm in. I am in. A story before we go. We've been talking a lot about drunk driving the last week or so. A Lexington, Kentucky woman was pulled over. And this was obviously her excuse, but I'm really, really hoping this was the excuse she was using. It was bad that she was doing this anyway. But that this was the excuse she was using, and this wasn't the thing that she was actually doing. She's 48 years old. She has been picked up on impaired driving before, and she had her son in her car. It was 12.51 a.m. Sunday, and she claimed that she was trying to teach her son a lesson. She was in a 2014 BMW X1 going 150 miles an hour. Hmm. Got pulled over, huh? Yeah. Uh, The son told police immediately, uh, I had nothing to do with this, and I've tried to get out of the car several times because of his mother's driving. Her blood alcohol level was twice the legal limit. But here's what she said. She was trying to teach her son a lesson. She was trying to show him that drinking and driving is dangerous. Yeah, that didn't work out for her. She had her initial court appearance yesterday, and she's going to have a few more after this. And here's hoping they take her license away. Really? Really? There's a story before we go. Again, coming up tomorrow, we will hopefully, and I, I have some feelers out on this already, We'll hopefully be able to find more about the Van Allen radiation belt. We had an opportunity to put on our tinfoil hats in the first hour of the show, thanks to a call that came in from Robbie. And he, Robbie says he does not believe 
Anything has ever been to the moon from Earth. Anything has ever been to Mars from Earth. Because nothing man-made, nothing mechanical could possibly get through the Van Allen radiation belt. I also got a tweet that said, check out badastronomy.com. I don't know whether it's our filters here, but it wouldn't come up. So I'll have to go somewhere and uh, find a sketchy spot and uh, and get that done. But I will check out badastronomy.com. Thanks to Matt McKinnis for his help. London Live brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialist. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.